At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast, a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Welcome, welcome, welcome y'all to another episode of Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique Farouk, your fertility bestie and advocate. I appreciate you for being here. This is your very first time joining the podcast and community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the shit show that is in fertility. You guys, it's been quite a ride these last two and a half years with COVID and I'm sure you all are doing fantastic and staying safe and preparing for cycles or in the midst of cycles, getting back out there. Just be safe, you guys. Please be safe in traveling and gathering with friends and loved ones and in vacations. You guys know where to find me on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast. And my email is info at moniqueperuk.com if you would like to share your story on the show and possibly record as well as send any comments questions and or feedback for myself or the community or at all and I will share it on the show as well. Our guest today is a badass infertility survivor as well as journalist and published author Carrie Severson. She has written a book called Unapologetically Enough and you can find that book at unapologeticallyenough.com. And you can also find her on Instagram and Medium. But Carrie has survived a crazy, crazy time trying to conceive as a single woman in her 30s. It took Carrie a little bit longer than some of us to find love and companionship. And so she began embarking on her journey to try and be a single mom by choice and go through IVF alone as a single woman. She shares with us in this episode a very, very, very horrifying situation that she found herself in due to her wanting to become a mom so very, very badly. And Carrie had a situation happened to her in situations at this particular clinic that you would only find in a movie, you guys. You do not want to miss Carrie's experience with her infertility reproductive endocrinologist's office and clinic. She ended up with eight different bacterial and fungal infections by the time this place was done with her you guys and that is just the freaking tip of the iceberg i don't want to scare you but we know how we do around these parts we keep it 101,000, you guys about all things trying to conceive through infertility or trying to conceive after loss carrie is not sugarcoating much in her story with us today and later on carrie does end up finding love and gets married during covid so we'll be back in just a second you guys with carrie Alrighty, you guys we are back with our girl 
Carrie Severson. Carrie, thank you so very much for giving us your time and your evening to come and record and share your truth with us. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that you always wanted to be a mom? Did that clock start ticking? I did, but I had a complicated sort of fantasy, I guess, around it where when I was a kid, I wanted to make sure that I I did something with my career first. And so I, I gave myself a time clock and I was like, I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to go write for O Magazine. And then I'm going to become a mom in like my 30s. And so I never thought about it in my 20s. I just, I graduated with journalism and then I just ran after my career. So there was always this idea that I want to be a mom, but there was always this balancing of, I also want a career first. Started writing for magazines and moved my way around from one element of writing to another. And at some point in my early 30s, realized I was an entrepreneur and I was supposed to go create my own thing and become a trailblazer, which puts me in in an even different category because creating something from nothing, something I had never done before. So I created a bullying solutions organization for girls when I was 32 And it caught on fire because it was at the time when girl-on-girl bullying was really, it was like a a bubble. It was everywhere. And my little organization just took off. And for the next four years, five years of my life, I really completely, I was absorbed with my career and with the demand of it. I was dating. I was looking. I was putting energy into it. And when I was about 37, I actually ended up on a date with a man who told me that I missed my opportunity to get married and have babies because I put my career first. And so it was actually on that date. I did two things. The first thing was, I was like, I'm leaving. Thank you. I'll see you later. I wrote about my experience for Red Book and I started doing research on IVF and preservation because of that date. So I gave myself a year. And when I turned 38, I still hadn't met the guy. I wanted to have babies with. And so I decided to put myself through IVF and explore the harvest, which turned out to be a bit of a nightmare. (laughs) Did you share Mm -hmm. with anyone? Did you, were you sharing with your girlfriends or a sister or any other family or loved one about what you were doing? (laughs) Or did you like kind of keep it to yourself a little bit? No, I shared because I wanted to write about it as a writer. I was like, I'm going to write about this. I'm going to write about what it's like to date on fertility drugs. I'm going to write about what it's like to be single and doing this because at the time there were these network of doctors that were popping up all over the country that were sort of treating late 30 something year old women. It was almost like a pampered chef party. It was like, if you get 10 year girlfriends together and you call this number, a doctor will come out. And if you book that night, you get 10% off your first like year of freezy. And that really sat wrong with me. And so I wanted to kind of bring attention to the emotional side of all of it. So I was very public about it. So I went to this doctor, I got in on a, like a seminar and talked about preservation, talked about embryos, talked about buying sperm and went down this whole thing. And it was very weird, but my mom actually was like, let's say you meet him a year from now and he can't have babies. Wouldn't it be nice to have plan B and plan C? I was like, yeah, this is a smart thing to do. I was very open about it. So I even threw, help me pick the sperm party. And I like pulled up the donors on my TV and I made sure not to do it alone because I didn't want, I didn't want to get 
scared. I didn't want to talk myself out of it. I was moving from a headspace that first round where it was like a logical decision. This makes sense just in case, just in case. And the company that I worked with was, they're good at what they do, but they're very unprofessional. And I think at the time, this was like seven, eight years ago now, there was a, a massive growth in these procedures. And I don't think they could keep up a demand. And so they were hiring technicians to also act as account managers and the person doing the paperwork. And so when I said yes, I went over a contract. At no point was there ever a conversation about the cost of drugs. That came as like a shock after I had signed paperwork. I didn't work with a coach. I didn't I didn't ask enough questions up front to really know side effects of the drugs and the cost of the drugs. And I really went into it thinking, oh, this doctor is having a sale. It's $5,000. I'm going to do this. And it ended up being like the first round was closer to, I think, 11. And so from the get-go, that first round was off-putting. And there really wasn't ever a clearing of, let's take pause. Let's have an emotional connection. Let's get human with each other while I'm trying to help you do this thing. It was very cold. It was very technical. And I really had a hard time with it. I can't believe you're even able to sit here and talk about it. Years later, a friend of mine who's a trauma coach, she's like, have you ever had trauma healing? And I'm like, trauma on what? And she's like, your IVF experience. And I'm like, oh, I think I probably should do that. But yeah, it took me a long time to talk about it without hysterically crying or pushing my fingernails deep into my palms so I wouldn't feel anything else. To turn off the tears. Yeah. 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 Like, how did they even get away with it? I remember sitting in the, the seminar and there were a number of women there and the doctor was like, okay, so what questions do you have? And one woman asked about what he could do for her to help her keep, to go full term. And another woman asked what he could do for her to help her conceive. And I asked about preservation. And one of the practitioners called me out separately because I was there by myself. And she's like, you're so brave. And when she said it, I looked around to see the other women and they couldn't look at me. They looked down and like fidgeted with stuff in their hands. And I felt, I felt I was like heartbroken because we're in this room together. There's only a couple of us and I wasn't. I didn't feel any braver than these other two ladies. And I was being called out because I was single. And yet I looked at them and I was like, I would love to have a partner. I would love to not have to do this by myself. So I've come to peace with my like my journey. The first round didn't work. I early ovulated. I went in for the last appointment and he was unsatisfied with the number of eggs that were there. And so rather than take me that night or that morning, that following morning, he gave me additional drugs and I early ovulated that night, at least that's what he said. And I lost everything. So I went in the next day, did the procedure. And his hope was that he was still going to be able to collect something. I broke out in hives the night before and I called the doctor and he was like, you're probably early ovulating. So come in and we'll do it first thing in the morning. And woke up after the procedure. I think he collected like four underdeveloped eggs. He was keeping them in a Petri dish to push them and how that was going to develop was, you know, time would tell. But I went home and I was like hemorrhaging in and out of like, deep sleep. My girlfriend was like shaking me awake. 
and there's nothing they could do. It was like that for days. And she would call the doctor and put the doctor on speakerphone. And the doctor's like, Carrie, does it feel like you have a really bad period <laughs> or something more? And I'm like, this is something more. And my girlfriend has had six kids and two miscarriages. And she's like, this isn't a normal period. This is flat out hemorrhaging. And the doctor's like, I'm sorry, we can't do anything for you. It was a whole really icky experience. I gave myself space like a month and nothing, you know, he called to tell me the eggs weren't, didn't make it. And it was, I'm used to things coming to a closure. I'm used to things being able to, even when you break up with somebody, you're still able to like tear up their stuff or light something on fire (laughs) <laughs> or like run into them in the store on your best day with your best outfit yeah, and yeah. waving and say, hey, I'm doing fantabulous right. without you. Yeah. Yes. There was nothing here. And so I called them and I was like, I actually need to talk about this. About a month later, I sat in his office and they first blamed my mindset for early ovulating. And then he was like, I'll tell you what, I'll do a second round for you for free. And let's see if we can do this. And... I took about, you know, two or three minutes to really think about it because I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to put myself through that again. And he's like, your end goal hasn't changed. We'll do everything we can to get you drugs at a discount. We'll give you free samples. We'll really make this as easy as possible for you. And you won't have to pay us. It's only going to be like another twelve dollars or $1,300. If you can make that up, let's do it. So eventually I said yes. And the second round I did totally different. I cleared my calendar. I would like meditate on the couch for hours at a time. I did like yoga. I ate, you know, fruit only. I did everything different. I didn't work. I didn't write about it. I was very private and everything went better this time. I had, I think they collected eight eggs, pushed them into embryos. I waited. I wasn't in pain. I didn't hemorrhage. Everything was different. And I get a call and they didn't make it. I lost the second round too. And at that point, I felt like, okay, that's it. That's complete. I'm not doing this again. And I just went through the motions. It was so close to the end of the year, super close to Christmas. I just really needed to kind of get through that before I could address it emotionally. I think it was was probably the first week of February. I got the first case of flu I had ever gotten. I had gotten in like 20 years. My body's been under a lot of stress. No big deal. But I got it again, like three weeks later. And then over the next four months, I got eight different bacteria infections and a major rash up and down my body. So I was in and out of doctor's offices constantly. And I was getting tested for, I mean, my body was like just a wreck. I couldn't walk some days. In and out of doctor's offices, trying everything from like naturopaths to specialists to, I'm getting tested for like, everything from MS to rheumatoid arthritis. As soon as I get to the fertility drugs and I list off the number of drugs I'm on, everyone I saw, regardless of what field they were in, they were like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, that makes sense. You, you're like supersizing everything in your body and whatever was in dormant in your body just got pushed up to the surface. So it literally was like my body was expressing whatever was in it that I never knew. And it was very hard. And it was in that healing experience that I actually got to deal with the trauma. But it took so long to address the emotional elements that left that. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. How long did it take for you to physically heal from almost 10 different bacteria at the same time? I was actually pretty much all of 2017. So it took an entire year to recover physically from two rounds of IVF. And in my book, I really, I go into this in detail. It was like 107 shots, took me 12 months to recover from. And I had to really look in, you know, into my heart and sort of accept the fact that there has to be a point in which I heal not only the decisions I made, I heal the wants and the desires I have. I have to open up myself even wider to the possibility that this life I wanted may not happen. And let's see what else is out here. And so there was a lot, there was so much, you know, physical healing, but there was a deeper layer of emotional healing that was happening too. What made you say yes to the second cycle after all you had been through in the first one? In the first. Yeah. I really felt like, it felt like an opportunity. It felt like this thing was just hanging in front of me and all I had to do was grab onto it. And it was like, this is my, this is my answer. The first round went bad because I was stressed about blah, blah, blah. If I can do it differently, the results will be differently. That was the mindset I had. Because of your desire to be a mom and to ha- and to make this IVF, this IVF work that I've spent all this money on. Mm-hmm. So then were you dismissing or turning a blind eye to all the red flags, the doctors oh, totally. and whoever worked for them. Totally. So you, yeah, it's like that lover that you know is no effing good. Yep. But I was hooked. It was something a keeps. Yeah. yeah. Is that kind of how it felt for you? Yeah. If I can do this, and he's giving me the opportunity to, why would I say no? Even though everyone around me was like, Carrie, maybe you shouldn't do it again. But I did, and it was in that second round. The second round, I think, was even harder than the first round because I did leave the center upright. I left not hemorrhaging. I left with things that were able to, when I left them, it was good news. And then four days later, Mm -hmm. it was bad news. So I really did have hope when I left. But I found found peace with all of it years later. And when I went to write this book, it was almost as if I went way back into my mind, into the subconscious that Beyond the desires, the things that I used to think about when I was little throughout my 20s and 30s and all of the things that we put together, I wrote the heaviest chapters of my book from that space. So I wouldn't have to cry through it. I wouldn't have to think about it. It was just like almost like channeling. It was insane. I Chapter 11 is like round two. So when I got done writing it, I sent it to my girlfriend who was with me this the whole time helping me. And I was like, can you read this and make sure that I'm accurately describing what happened? Because it, this doesn't seem real. And she's like, word for word, I can't believe you were able to do this. <laughs> so the things that our body and our subconscious remembers, the crap that we put ourselves through. It is real. It's very complicated. And it makes you question everything even more, right? Like we didn't have enough questions for universe yeah. already. Yeah. And then we question why people like this are allowed to practice and get paid for. Yep. You also talk about the shame of 
everybody who knew and having to give them these horrific updates. I don't know if I did that piece. The shame I did address was having to come to peace with, I wanted the career. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I created something from scratch that blew up and grew nationally and was a total success and had major demand. And I chose not to stop running after that. And that's a decision I can't take back. I shouldn't feel guilty for leading the life I did. And there was a lot of healing around that. Especially the guilt. Yeah. Since that was the one that you resonated, it sounds like you resonated with the most is the mm-hmm. guilt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it can bet money that there's a lot of women who feel like that. A lot of women who feel like that. And then it also makes you feel bad because the misogyny sucks, but it's almost feeling like, well, there is some truth to what they're saying about women and our bodies, biological clocks. But at the same time, we have to progress as a society and we can't expect for women today to do what grandmothers and great grandmothers did Yeah, 40, 50 years ago, maybe 50 years ago. You really expected us to stay that way? So I think there's a lot of conflict with when career and, and family and what's important in that Especially moment. now. I think after going through this, we're burned out, right? So it is about burnout yeah. both personally and professionally. And maybe it's because my eye is so focused on it, but everyone seems to be talking about parental burnout. And yes. when we had to go, you know, shift indoors and onto Zoom and my husband has, I am married now. He has three kids from a previous marriage. And when COVID happened and we had to do online learning and stuff mm-hmm. and run a business and yeah. the house and everything else, I can't imagine working for somebody else during COVID, like having to do corporate job and everything else forget it like I, I I really do hope we evolve as a society and we learn from this because the stuff that we're doing to the stress that we're doing to our bodies and something has to give something has to change it definitely does I think the silver lining to this whole experience really was for me to form a deeper relationship with myself and accept myself And that's kind of where the concept of unapologetically enough came from, which is what the title of my book is. It's I am enough with or without my own children. I am enough with or without this dream coming to pass. And that was something I really had to, I think, accept at a cellular level. You got to attach emotion to it and in order for you to also at the same time, let it go. Right. Right. So after I spent about a year, I doing that work, I met my husband in beginning of 2018. And on our like third date, you know, he shows all his kids. And the idea of being a bonus mom started to play with my mind and what that would look like. And I knew pretty early on that he was the guy I was going to end up with. And we actually got married during COVID. And so the really big thing for me when I was writing this journey was I didn't want women to read my book and think the prince on the white horse and he comes in and my life is saved because blah, blah, blah. And that's not, that's not how it happened at all. I honestly don't think I met him until I accepted myself fully enough as a woman, enough as a business owner, enough as whoever I choose to be and show up as that day. Because it's almost like that energetic sense of yeah. being whole first before yeah. you can fine true match right yeah yeah Mm -hmm. I get it the desire to like have my own child is still there and if it happens it happens but I wouldn't I'm okay 
and at peace with it not happening. I hope women who are going through this experience can find themselves in this story and find elements of like coming to peace or healing, deeper layers of that journey. No, that's important to note. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's really important to note because a lot of people are starting to stray away from the healing aspect because the word has become so mainstream and casual conversation. Yeah, I'm healing from this or that, making it, it's cool now. Just like it's cool now to go to therapy, right? And the idea of really like, for those of us, especially for those of us who had cycles that didn't work, we're not any less of anything because this didn't pan out for us. That's really the the piece that I had to, I think, work on the most is the element of there's a title that I can't associate it with, but not an emotion or not a feeling. It's an ever, it's never ending compassion practice. You know, it's so funny because I was just thinking about this sort of a thing earlier. And it's it's like every month when I get my cycle, I'm always reminded of infertility, right? Again, my son is five now, okay? So it just tells you how long it's been. In total, it's been 10 years for me this year. And so here I am coming off of a cycle, menstrual cycle, and thinking about ovulation like that really effing matters at this point. (laughs) Getting ready to be 39 this year, later this year. And I've never been pregnant on my own other than my son. It's it's indescribable too in, in in a lot of ways. Right. What else would you want someone in your position to know or in general from the community? A last word to sustain them like for the rest of the week. Honestly, the thing that I, I wish I would have done from the beginning is I would have talked to women who had gone through it from every perspective. The the ones who failed, the ones who had successes. I would have done research on that piece rather than just trusted the doctors and trusted what I was putting in my body as something that I needed to do in order to get this result. Mm -hmm. I would have slowed down and I would have engaged in the community up front versus on the back end, which is what I did. I would have found a community and just started really research, you know, talking to women. So interesting because we don't, I mean, we talk about, for me, I talk about burnout all the time. It's very prevalent Major corporations are talking about it. Major news media outlets are talking about it. But you don't see this issue in mainstream media. You don't see this issue. And so I don't think women just randomly come up and start discussing it. I, when I was writing about dating on fertility drugs, I didn't get a single, I didn't get anybody asking me, hey, I saw that you just wrote this piece. I'm really interested, blah, blah, blah. But if I put something out on Redbook or through Marie Claire or some, you know, Huffington Post or some big outlet like that, about entrepreneurship or burnout, I would get dozens, sometimes hundreds of emails. But whenever it was... You get ignored. Yeah. Essentially, you get ignored. How much does that remind us of childhood? (laughs) Growing up and being the smart, intelligent, awkward girl. Because girls aren't supposed to be that smart, okay? Mm -hmm. Guys didn't know that. And here we are again, feeling like that I know for me, in many instances, feeling like that 11-year-old again, that was teased for this or that. Yeah. Communicate online. We have great, you know, we have great outlets like this. I wish I would have done more communication up front and really asked 
deeper questions. Six months later, how did you feel? What side effects? What were the costs? How was it emotionally? You would think that with the technology age we're in, that we're all flocking online looking for community in these situations, you know, but we do the complete opposite (laughs) when everything is literally now at our fingertips. Yeah. Looking back at it, I can't believe I didn't research side effects of these drugs. And again, I sincerely think of, I went through what I went through with the writing gift I have so that I could put this thing out into the world post during COVID or however you're supposed to say it now to create a connection to give women going through it some hope or some witness, you know, somebody witnessing their journey. And witnessing brings validation. Yeah. So where can we find you online, Carrie? Yeah. So unapologeticallyenough.com is where I'm at. It's where the book is at, but the book is available anywhere you buy books. I hang out on Instagram a lot. My business is actually called The Unapologetic Voice House. You can always find me through Carrie Severson too. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I'll make sure I have that all in the show details so that you guys can tap and go and connect with Carrie further. Carrie Thank you so much for being here. Thank this you. This was truly a pleasure and getting to know you more and also you sharing with us so vividly what you experienced, unfortunately. I'm glad you're here and you survived. It could have went an entirely different way. And right. congratulations on getting married as well. Thank you. And thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. Peace and blessings. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.